Welcome to the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast with me, Laura, and my lovely mum, Ruth. Hi, everyone. Together, we'll be discussing all things parenting, from education to mental health and everything in between. Welcome to the first episode of the Let's Talk About Parenting podcast. We thought this would be a really good time for us to introduce ourselves and talk a little bit about what we do and why we started this podcast. So, shall I go first? Yeah, you go first, Annie. Um, I'm Laura. I'm a learning designer by background. Um, I've always made educational materials for kids. Um, I try to make them as fun and engaging as possible. And I found that kids, the kids that I kind of taught while I was studying at university, really, really responded to fun, active learning, lots of activities, lots of research, learning about different topics and them having loads of control over what they wanted to learn. Um, and just trying to make their advent their learning as adventurous as possible. Um, so uh, I decided to do a postgraduate certification in uh, digital learning at the University of Edinburgh, and that's basically what I work on now. I set up a company not that long ago called Quest to Kids, which we'll talk about in a minute. Um, but that's me. So what about you, Mum? Okay, so I'm Ruth. Um, I live in a tiny little village in Berkshire. My background is as a child psychiatrist, and I did that for many years and loved it. Um, But eventually we had three children, and our second child, our first son, um, has some interesting difficulties around learning, and I decided that we needed to focus on him more so he learns differently Uh, he's extremely able but he found mainstream schooling quite a challenge and it was important to for him not to lose his confidence for him to have a sense that uh, he could learn things and the way to do that was by getting him excited by the things that we were talking about and learning about Um, So that's sort of my contribution to the background of all of this. I now also work as um, a governor in a local primary school, which is great fun. And I'm a trustee um, in a charity called Medical Justice, which uh, works to support refugees who are in detention, making sure that their health, particularly their mental health needs, gets addressed. So the project that we are working on at the moment is called Quest of Kids. It's uh, it's an online uh, educational game for kids, which involves kids following two characters uh, as they travel around the world, learning about different things. And I was inspired to start it by like by a whole bunch of different reasons. Partly because I love to travel, and I spent most of my twenties. Uh, traveling, I lived in uh, Lebanon, and I lived in Turkey and Serbia. I've driven to Mongolia, I've done a whole bunch of different things, and I wanted to make sure that kids get to experience some of that adventure, but I wanted to make sure I was bringing in the learning component as well. So Questa Kids follows two characters, Questa, who's a nine-year-old girl who is a bit... Um, learning of yeah reluctant (laughs) learning avoidant we might say um and she meets a character called zeke who is a very grumpy rude sarcastic 
time traveling iguana from the future and together they set off on a mission to save the knowledge of the future and they do that by learning about different countries so they travel through the history of different countries uh, meeting different people and helping them with learning activities that focus on geography history maths culture animals uh, plenty more topics um, and so in order to kind of complete it kids do learning activities alongside Questor and Zeke um, so we really get to bring in that fun element the travel element um, and also kids being able to learn in a slightly different way they're not just sitting in a classroom kind of passively ingesting information but they're really actively doing things which is something that that we often did as a family, right? We kind yeah, of really... Yeah, sure, sure. So we, we travelled a great deal as a family when, when Laura and her brothers were small. And um, we, we recognised that being able to travel as we did was a real, you know, it was a real luxury because not everybody has the opportunity to do that. So we wanted to make sure that it turned into a learning experience as well as fun. Um, and I remember... Do you remember when we went to Jamaica and, yeah. and um, because Laura's grandfather um, worked there and her aunt was born there and um, my husband produced a quiz about Jamaica and Laura had to research it before we went and so when we got there she recognised the flag and she knew that knew she, who Bob Marley was you knew who Bob Marley was <laughs> we listened to Bob Marley music um, you understood about sugar and about the plantations we also had some discussions about slavery which was a difficult topic and some of that is what has has sort of entered into Questa Kids. I think that memory of the learning, but also recognizing that some bits of the history of places isn't straightforward. It's quite complicated, and you need to understand that too. And actually, that uh, that quiz that Dad made for me about Jamaica was one of the direct inspirations for Questa Kids. So when we first started off. We were stuck at home. Well, I split my time between Manchester and Amsterdam and I was in Amsterdam at the time, stuck in my flat with nothing to do. And so I decided to try and make some learning materials for kids to do at home because everybody was stuck in crisis with nothing to do. Um, so I started making these kind of, uh, first they were just PDFs of getting kids to do research around different countries and work out what the capital was, how, what the population was, and what were some of the key issues that were important to learn about. Um, and they got really, really popular as just kind of free PDF downloads. And over time, it's transitioned into being much more of a game, much more interactive. The learning activities are much more sophisticated. And we also have a really, really strong emphasis now in the Quest of Kids version on the stories of women. So the majority of characters that Zeke and Quest meet on their journey are women. I think it's 96% are female, 54% of the characters are non-white, 33% are aged 60 and above, because we really want to make sure that kids are meeting a diverse spectrum of different identities and professions and all that kind of thing. It's so they're not just learning the basics about a country and meeting the kind of obvious characters, but they're really digging deep into what makes a country exciting and diverse and different. Um, yeah, which is something that, that you kind of taught us when we traveled as well. Yeah, it, it was a very, very important part. And, 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 you know, family conversations would often revolve around, well, why did this happen in this way? Why did it happen in this place? How come this is what people eat? Or how come 
this is how people dress or dance or sing or, or whatever. And I think that curiosity about difference was, was a very important part of that those that early travel that we did and I think also making that transition I sometimes say with Quest of Kids what I want to move kids away from is if they observe somebody from a different culture doing something that they're not familiar with to move them away from oh that's weird and move them towards I wonder why that person does that I wonder why that happens and to move it from a place of judgment into a place of curiosity which is something that Obviously, there's no replacement for parents having in-depth conversations with their kids about all aspects of learning. But we also have a responsibility to make sure that the learning materials that kids are using and absorbing are also diverse and promoting tolerance and thoughtfulness, as well as curiosity. So that's Quest of Kids. But maybe do you think we should talk about why we decided to do that this podcast? I think that would be a really interesting idea, actually, darling, because it's grown gradually, hasn't it? Yeah. So we wanted to do this podcast because we both have a very, not very different, but we both have a different perspective on or different aspects of parenting and kids. I come really from an education perspective, um, how to help kids learn effectively, but also I have plenty of ideas on some of the things that kids should be learning, things that are really important for them, both to help them succeed in school, but also to make them well-rounded, kind, thoughtful, principled individuals. And then you come much more from a sort of psychiatry side of things, right? Yeah, I think probably mental health is 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 a better way of describing it, actually, mm. because um, it seems to me that children who children start off really curious and willing to learn about the world, and sometimes school, sometimes other things lead them to feel that they can't explore or they're not very good at it. They're not very good at learning. And the truth is that every child can be curious. Every child can learn. And that what seems to get in the way sometimes is their self-esteem um, that holds them back and makes them feel that uh, it's not something that they can do. Um, and I think what, you know, when we talk about Quest of Kids, we try to make it accessible for all children um, and to make it fun and to remind children just of how exciting it is to learn new stuff. Um, and you can't get it wrong or right. You just learn something new. And I think that's a really interesting way that education and mental health can reinforce each other, because sometimes the way that education set up, you know, regular testing and a sort of there's very much a kind of zero sum games approach sometimes to learning of like there's always got to be a winner. There's always got to be somebody who does the best in the test, which means there's always got to be somebody who does the worst in the test. And there's a very much kind of a there can be a pass fail mentality in education. Whereas one of the approaches that we've taken with Quest of Kids, but also I think that we held dearly is this idea that there are skills that all children are capable of developing that aren't a zero-sum game. All children are capable of being confident. All children are capable of learning to collaborate. And that may look like different things in different kids, but it's something that, that is much more, is a, is a much better goal for kids than they're going to pass their GCSEs. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting, as a parent of three children, my three children are very, very, very different. And family life consists of intense, often very um, animated discussions sitting around the table where we all have different opinions about things. And the 
thing is that all of those opinions are valid um, and trying to recognize that diversity of view diversity of perspective is 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 really important and um, you know when I think about what what we're doing what Laura and I are doing the thing that jumps out at me is Laura's extraordinary confidence because she has had this brilliant idea about how to help kids be curious, be be interested, learn about things. Um, and then she had this enormous confidence that has allowed her to develop it. And I think that's just brilliant. I don't know where you think that comes from. <laughs> well, I'm sure it comes in large part from you. Mom. Oh, thank you, darling. Um, <laughs> but um, it's great that you bring that up because that's actually the topic of today's podcast. We're going to talk about confidence. Um, and I think we're going to go through... Um, some of the ideas kind of what confidence is but then confidence from an educational perspective um, and some of the strategies that you can take to build kids confidence when it comes to learning not just in school but also outside of school and then also from and then you're going to talk a little bit about confidence from a mental health standpoint and why it's so important sure. um, and some of some of the ways that you can kind of boost kids confidence and also if they are dealing with low confidence some of the things that they they can do um, so that's what we're going to talk about today yeah and I think one of the things that inspired the particular approach that we've we've taken with Cresta Kids in relation to to gender is this terribly worrying dip in people's confidence and girls' confidence that happens between the ages of, of eight and twelve. Um, eight and fourteen. Sorry, eight, 14. eight and fourteen, sorry. Yeah. Um, and you know it's it's really sad because when when girls lo start losing their confidence in, in the latter stages of primary school they can then end up taking it with them to secondary school and even into their adulthood. Um, and it just seems terribly important to try to do something to address that really, to, to, to look at why it happens and what we as adults can do, um, particularly to build the confidence of, of, of girls of that age. Yeah, it's, actually, it's called the gender confidence gap in educational literature and it basically shows that uh, I mean, anxiety is on the rise in basically all, basically every demographic. Um, thanks, thanks, modern life. But um, there is a particular drop in confidence for girls aged between eight and fourteen. So they studies reckon, um, and this comes from uh, Kay and Shipman's The Confidence Code, um, that girls' confidence drops about thirty percent between the ages of eight and fourteen, and it doesn't with boys. I think boys probably get buoyed up by a bit of a testosterone rush. <laughs> that, <laughs> That means that their confidence um, doesn't suffer. But one of the contributing factors to um, the confidence drop that happens in girls um, is we have a very strong culture that tells girls to, to be careful, to be perfect, to not make mistakes, to really avoid risk. Whereas boys don't get quite get that same messaging. They yeah. get, you know, you be loud in class or they, or at least they don't get told off for being loud in class, even though it can be incredibly irritating. Um, but, you know, they're allowed to make mistakes. They're allowed to get mucky. Um, whereas girls are taught to be good, be quiet, look after other people. Um, and that can really have a troubling impact on on uh, confidence. Um, yeah, and I think... I think sometimes it links to what we were talking about a minute ago, which is the idea that there is a right answer to everything. Mm. Um, it, you know, it's a very simplistic way of making sense to say, 
you ask a question and this is the answer that everybody agrees is the right answer. Um, and that has, that has a number of effects. First of all, it blocks out any possibility of there being other ways of making sense of things. Um, but it also means that you can either get it right or you get it wrong. And if you're someone who wants to conform and wants to, you know, be seen to be doing things properly, you have to have quite a lot of confidence to allow yourself to have a go, have a guess, and maybe get it wrong. You know, sometimes you're, you are going to guess it wrong, or you're going to try a new activity, you're going to try learning to dance or to swim, and maybe it doesn't go so well. And if you believe that you've got to perform perfectly the first time, then you might then withdraw and not have a, have a, have a go and learn something different, or just have fun doing it badly. I remember I had a really, really scary French teacher. Do you remember? I won't say his name. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I, he, I think it came from a genuine sort of place of frustration of why, why it was that we couldn't just grasp the language. But there was a lot of shouting that went on in that class, and it may absolutely paralyze me from guessing. Um, and and of course, language learning is a particular place where guessing and having a go and just just giving a punt, giving it a punt is really, really important. And it really inhibited me from um, from feeling like I could speak French, I actually speak quite good French, but from feeling like I could speak good French because I was so worried I was going to get shouted at. And of course, <laughs> a lot of the time, teachers aren't doing that necessary and even parents aren't doing that actively in terms of shouting. But there is a sort of, you know, there's a right answer, there's a wrong answer, um, you know, reinforcing that messaging. But I guess a question that I have for you is, do you think, because I'm just thinking, there are some kids who are obviously naturally confident. Sure. Um, there are girls that are naturally confident. There are boys that are naturally confident. Do you think confidence is a skill that you can teach to kids? Or is it just one of those inherited things? You've got it or you don't have it. So, so what I think is that most children start off confident. So there are some children who are more cautious, more risk averse than others. And you can see that from, from when they're toddlers. But generally speaking, even the most wary toddler has the confidence to try new things. And that what it's not so much about teaching confidence. It's about making sure that children don't lose it. Mm. Um, and I think, you know, as as adults, we can encourage children to to try things and help them to understand that if it doesn't quite go to plan, their plan, whatever that might be, that it's okay that you have another go, you start, and that actually no learning takes place unless you make a mistake. You know, if you get it right the first time, what is there to learn? Whereas if you if you have to try it again and again and again, then each time you get a little bit better, you work it out, you you develop strategies for solving problems and you can then use that in a whole series of, of, of different ways. Yeah. And I think especially if we're talking about um, about making sure to not allow that confidence to drop or doing your best to mitigate that confidence dropping girls there's a whole range of things that you can do but there is a bit of you have to kind of fight against the patriarchy and the sexism that they start <laughs> to encounter from a very very young age yeah you know yeah. this this idea and some of this applies for boys as well but the idea that there are clothes for girls and clothes for boys activities for girls activities for boys something that I am really passionate about is making sure that little girls have um, really strong female role models and diverse female role models as well 
Um, but that they're also accessible role models. It can't be something where somebody is just so amazing at something. You know, one of the things that I remember is um, being absolutely fascinated with a particular ballerina when I was young, but really clearly having the thought of, I'm never going to be as good as that because I was awful at ballet. Uh, I'm never going to be as good as that. So she's not really a role model for me because I can't be like that. So you can have these role models that end up reinforcing the idea of perfectionism. Whereas, and if you have a huge role and you also talk about, you know, when people have made mistakes and when they really got it wrong, um, that's something that can be very helpful that girls see that there are different ways of achieving the things that they want. And I also think it's important, I say little girls, but I also think it's important that little boys have strong female role models as well, because you also want to, there's a lot of evidence that children's perceptions of gender roles are already pretty much decided by the time they go to secondary school and it can be even harder to kind of dig those out once they get to secondary school so it's really important that boys are learning that girls can do all sorts of things as well yes and and thinking about what you can do to um yeah let's talk strategies let's talk strategy <laughs> yeah 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 so one of the things that i think is really important as an adult uh, and as a parent is something about recognizing that you don't get it right all the time either mm. and that's just not a problem so I can remember occasions when I lost my temper and I shouted and then I would be very careful and go to whoever I'd shouted at and say I'm really sorry I got it wrong there you know and in invariably one of the whichever of the kids it was would say it's okay mum it's all right we understand you were a bit tired or you need a cup of coffee or you know have a have a break and well, you were right to yell at that man in the supermarket <laughs> oh, I'll yeah. tell you that story at some point <laughs> yeah no please um... don't tell the story about the man in the supermarket I that wasn't my finest hour <laughs> but the point is if you can demonstrate that you're okay not being perfect, then your kids will understand that they don't have to be perfect either. And that's something that leads over really, really well into education as well, that you don't have, lots of parents get stuck in this idea that they have to know the answer when they're helping with homework, when they're answering kids' questions. And if they don't know the answer, they get a bit kind of shifty and they don't want to, don't want to talk about it. They don't want to learn anything more about it. And I would say it's a really fantastic opportunity to say some, the magic words, which my friend Chloe, who's a teacher, uses all the time. She says, I don't know. Let's Google it together. Yeah. Um, and you really encourage that. You're not shutting them off and saying, I don't know. Therefore, we're not going to talk about it. You're also not pretending that you do know. Um, but you're saying, I don't know. And I'm interested as well. I'm curious about the things that you're curious about. And here are some of the ways that we can find out the answers together. So you can look in an encyclopedia. Google is my absolute favorite, although you do have to be a little bit careful with where you go um, or ringing someone up, ringing up Auntie Irena, who's from Spain, to ask her for help with your Spanish homework or what this particular word means. It can be a really powerful tool to show kids that feeling confident about your knowledge isn't just a matter of knowing all the answers and getting everything right all the time it's actually a process that we can improve at and develop and and kind of change our outlook on um that's something i would also say one of the strategies i've heard for improving confidence particularly for girls is to kind of encourage risk taking so now i don't mean that you're pushing them out of second floor windows <laughs> well, that's a good idea I, don't know. I do know i do know some there anyway um but what would you agree with that and what kinds of what kinds of 
risks do you think are, are kind of good ones? I mean, trying new activities is... Yeah, I'm, I I can remember having a conversation, Laura, with, with the mother of your best friend when you were a little girl, when she said to me, how could I make sure, how did I make sure that you always were dressed properly? I by which, think I was. <laughs> well, by which she meant smartly. And, and I said... I don't know. And she described to me how she laid out her child's clothes every morning and then had a huge row with her daughter because the daughter wanted to make her own choices. And it just seemed to me that even things like taking the risk that your child is dressed in slightly odd clothes today, as long as they're not putting themselves in, you know, in danger of hypothermia or, you know, excessive heat or whatever, seems to me to be part of that allowing kids to take risks so it doesn't have to involve second floor windows in fact it's probably better <laughs> if it doesn't but at the same time there are ways of saying it doesn't matter if your son wants to take a teddy with him to school or your daughter wants to join the boys football team take a risk allow them to experiment and have the confidence to to do things differently and and the other thing is that sometimes one of the things that um, I've seen parents do is have an idea that certain things are really good and valuable things and other things aren't so valuable. So I can remember talking to a mum about her son spending a lot of time on his um, computer games and wasn't learning anything. And I had to have a conversation about maybe he was learning something, maybe there were skills that he was learning, but rather than constantly telling him to stop doing it and, and getting into, into confrontation, maybe she could ask him to show her how to play so that she took the risk of being the person who was going to lose, but also showed that she was interested in his skill and his knowledge and his expertise so that he could feel positive about the thing that he spent so much time doing rather than feeling like it was something covert that he had to hide from her and lie about um, and was then became a source of punishment between them. Yeah and I think that's something that moves again moves back over into education as well is some sometimes parents can get really fixated on the right way to do things the right way to learn you know they have to do x number of um, mathematical equations or sums a day or they have to do the reading. I remember really strongly my my brother um, didn't love reading he didn't love he reading. It. He, he hated, hated it. it. He found it really difficult. Um, and and you said, let's do audiobooks then. And he and he still listens to audiobooks to his day. He just, he just finished listening to War and Peace uh, on audiobook while he does the washing up. But it was a way of him to for him to engage in stories and all the benefits that you get from stories, which is actually why we read books in the first place. You know, we partly read it as a practical skill, but we also read it as a way to access the breadth of human experience. And you can do that through audiobooks, you can do that through games, you can do that through film and TV. And of course, not, you know, I don't want to be too much of a snob, not everything is as great as everything else. But if you're building up a love of experiencing these things in kids, it doesn't really matter what they're reading. It doesn't matter whether they're, whether they're reading The Hobbit or whether they're reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid or whatever. It's all them experiencing it. So parents also have to take a risk that, um, that maybe sometimes the kid, kid knows best. Uh, do you know, it's so funny you say that because I do remember um, our, my son uh, quoting a Ted Hughes poem to me 
And me, it, was, it was Edgar Allan Poe. Oh, is it, it Edgar, Edgar Allan Poe? Poe. Okay. Edgar Allan Poe. And I was absolutely flabbergasted because this is someone who didn't like reading very much. <laughs> and I said, and what was he doing reading Edgar Allan <laughs> yeah. Poe, age 10? And I said to him, gosh, where did you learn that? And he t- looked at me and he said, The Simpsons. <laughs> Quoth the raven, nevermore. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> nevermore. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I, I'm a really big fan of um, Minecraft because there's so many skills that you're learning in Minecraft. It seems to be just like a, a very basic sort of pixelated video game to the untrained eye. But it's actually, it's about it's about building, it's about strategic thinking. You can do some incredibly creative things with Minecraft. I really recommend, um, if, if your kid's interested in it, I really recommend parents try to get into it as well because them being able to, not, not just for the skills learning, but once you appreciate how much your kids are developing and learning, and if you give them the opportunity for them to show you and introduce you to this, these worlds that they're creating, that's going to help build their confidence as well. They need to feel that you are confident in them in order f- to be able to build up their confidence because you're the most important person in their environment. You know, their, their peers are important too, their teachers are important, but actually... If you as a parent are confident that they can do things, their confidence will grow. They'll, they'll, they can see that, they can recognize that. Whereas if you constantly think that your kid can't do things, sooner or later they're going to get that message as well, right? Yeah, sure. And, and I think the other thing about building up children's confidence is about allowing them to make choices and recognizing that sometimes they're going to make choices that you might not think are ideal, but it's okay, go with it. Because they will work it out for themselves if you just ha- you have the confidence in them to give them a little bit of time to work out why this maybe isn't such a brilliant idea. Um, and don't think of it as them having made the wrong choice. Think of it as them having had the opportunity to learn something um, you know, so that maybe next time they listen to you, sometimes that's important, but, but also that they are going to turn into their own person. They don't have to be an identikit kid who looks like everybody else is interested in the same things as everybody else, but, but actually is their own person and their choices are valid ones. Um, and, and you need to be backing them up with that. Yeah. And the other thing I will say, just just as a as a caveat to all this uh, free range learning that we're doing over here, okay, is also that we also have to recognise that some learning is not not all learning is fun. Sometimes we have to learn things that are difficult, that are complicated, that stretch our minds and tax our minds. Um, you know, for me, that was maths. Um, absolutely hate maths. <laughs> uh, was and was terrible at it. Um, and I really, really needed somebody. You signed me up to Cumon Maths, do you yeah, remember? Yeah, I do. And I was, I, I can't remember, if, I think I was a teenager and I had to do all these worksheets of one plus one, one plus two, three plus four, because the Cumon kind of idea is that you have to do these things so they just become absolutely second nature and you don't even think about basic arithmetic. And in, there was a way in which it wasn't great for my confidence because I was like, oh my God, I'm a teenager and I'm having to do these baby sums. But actually, it really helped to build things up just a little bit more and be supported and recognizing that I do have to do this. I do have to, you know, pass my maths GCSE as horrifying as it is um, <laughs> and that there is support available out there and that sometimes confidence can't come from the parents. Sometimes you have to find another way 
for kids to be able to access that confidence around learning. Um, but I've got a question for you. Okay. If you obviously there's all sorts of um, there's all sorts of kind of information showing that anxiety is on the rise, confidence is crashing into the ground, exactly all, all that kind of stuff. Mm. Whether it's true or not, that's definitely what the perception is at the moment. I think there is probably a documented increase in anxiety. If you start observing signs of anxiety or or a lack of confidence in your kid, how do you recognise those things, and what would be your first steps? So the most important thing when you're when your kid is having any sort of difficulty is to find a way to get alongside them. Um, and one of the things that can happen when children become anxious or withdrawn or or, you know, a bit low in their mood is that they they actually don't want to talk to you. And it's quite important that you find a way to just be alongside them. So I found, for example, times when you do th when you do things in parallel terribly important driving. in terms of yeah you're driving driving along in the car you're you know you're doing a task like washing the washing the dishes those are times when your your task is driving in the car or washing the dishes but you can also have a chat while you're there and that those times when you're just together and you're just talking are very very very, very important and also that there will be opportunities for your child to talk to you perhaps when you don't expect it and always always take them up so that's the first thing is is keep that relationship going obviously do some of the stuff that we're talking about now about encouraging kids to be able to take risks and all of that sort of stuff but the sorts of things that you should be worried about would be things like a child who is becoming so withdrawn that they're not only are they not doing the you know new things doing new new doing new activities seeming to have lost their confidence not wanting to make new meet new people but also beginning to withdraw from things that they previously loved um, that's a big red flag um, as far as I'm concerned um, if you have children who seem sad or seem very angry that you know their mood is different from before and as your kids are entering adolescence, they will experience different different moods. But if you're worried and it's always in a negative way, um, and particularly if it goes on for an extended period of time, um, if you have a child whose sleep or appetite isn't isn't as it was, um, these are all things that should make you wonder if maybe this is more than just a little dip in confidence and something that you need to to get help from. And the place to go, the very first place to go, if you need to get some advice, is your children's your child's school, because they're the group of people who spend the second longest period of time with mm -hmm. your children. Um, and I think there's also an element of, I think I'm not a parent, but. I have observed in other parents that sometimes their own experiences can get in a little bit in the way. They can colour those things. If yeah. you suffered with low confidence when you were young or you had a massive drop in confidence when you were a teenager, of course, your biggest fear is going to be that your child goes through the same experience. Sure. So there's a way in which, of course, in one way, parents are absolutely the best people to know what's going on with their kids. But it's also really important sometimes to get uh, to get a different perspective yeah yeah and also you know you've got to remember it's your kid maybe something experiencing something that's so super developmentally normal 
you know, lots, lots of 13, 14 year olds stop showering and, and don't want to talk to their parents and, and get embarrassed when there's a sex scene on the TV. Like, some and it's of all perfectly normal. It's totally normal. Um, and that's the thing with, with anxiety all through the ages. Is some, some anxiety is totally normal. It's yeah. a human experience, human emotion that we all experience. Um, we just don't want to exacerbate it when it comes along. And we also want to be watching out for, times when it may be going a little bit too too yeah. far and the thing about the thing about going to the school is that the teachers know your child and they can give you another perspective so if they're worried too and we're thinking maybe they should have a chat with you together you can you can put your heads together and work out a strategy um, but if they say oh no they're fine maybe things are fine and this is just a you know something that will 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 pass and I guess if you still feel worried when you've spoken to the school and the school are worried, then your next port of call should probably be your doctor or another health professional. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they can give you that perspective, that, that, that view that will help you to distinguish the completely usual shifts in, in the way that young people interact with the world from the more worrying through to the very worrying, which, of course, mercifully is very very rare um, but you need to just be thinking about these things and, and be aware okay so I feel like that was a pretty uh, all-encompassing conversation about confidence for kids uh, <laughs> <It> certainly was <laughs> certainly was I didn't realize I had that much to say about no, it no neither did I actually um, so uh, yeah we talked about modeling confidence for your kids letting them make mistakes in fact sometimes encouraging them to make mistakes risk-taking uh, behaviours can sometimes be a good thing, even if the risk doesn't seem like a big one and maybe steer them away from the massive ones. Yeah. Developmentally appropriate risks. Yeah. And and choices. I'm and a choices. great one for choices. And choices. Yeah. Lots of choices because that builds up their confidence in the future. You can't expect them to leave home at 18 and have to make all these choices if they haven't had any practice beforehand. Yeah. Um, and I also would like make sure you are open to one of my personal things is make sure you're open to all sorts of different learning experiences we have this really strong idea that learning is what happens in school when you're sitting quietly at a desk um, and actually lots of us know that's not the best way we learn as adults it's not the way that children many, many children learn best some do especially if they have some kind of attention issue or something like that sitting Quietly in a classroom, doing learning that way is absolute torture. There's so many different ways that kids can learn and experience things. And a lot of the time that's based around conversation and discussion. Um, and that's something that where parents really have to step in and do some of the work as well. Yeah. And, and I think the last thing is remember that your partners in this are, are the teachers at your kid's school. Mm. They want what you want for, your, for the kids. They, they have a brief that they have to follow, but actually they want the children that they they teach to be confident and happy and to learn stuff yeah. and yeah they're they're your friends so you know use them use them <laughs> yeah that's what they're there for and they will be really glad to help you um okay so the last section of the podcast is a q a section um but because it's our first podcast we don't have a listener q a so i'm gonna do a question um thanks <laughs> that's all right for for dr ruth with her psychiatry expert um, and the questions can be for um for my mom with her mental health and psychiatry background or they can be for me um from a, a learning and education perspective but here we go so when i was a kid um i 
it was a bit of a it was a bit of a strange situation because in school I was incredibly shy. I always had hair covering my face. Um, I think most of my classmates up until the age of about 11 or 12 didn't believe I could speak. Um, I absolutely hated any kind of environment where I had to stand up and say anything. Drama class was my absolute nightmare and I still carry scars. I actually had to go to a um, an improvised comedy thing the other day and just watching it was almost enough to give me a flashbacks um but then when i was at home that wasn't what you observed right no, i was absolutely confident you know i was the the big sister i bossed everybody around i used to refer to myself as a policeman because i told everybody what to do so how do you account for that kind of big difference and is it a problem is it something that parents should be addressing um if they observe in their kids if they're really getting different messaging about how kids are different in school um, versus at home or what do you think about that so first of all I was not in the slightest bit worried um, I knew that Laura was a confident young person and there was something about the environment at school that she just didn't feel ready to to engage with in that way but she was listening she was learning and she was joining in with stuff um, and I knew that if we just left her she would build her confidence quite naturally. And I do remember the first day you went to senior school, Laura, you came home and you said to me, they do not seem to know who I am. <laughs> and I remember saying to her, yet. Yeah, true. And it was true. And, and, and actually you moved into a different phase soon after that where you really took hold and and had a sense that you had something to say and that people needed to listen to you and you would listen to them as well but that your confidence grew and that was really reassuring but I wasn't worried about when about you when you were a little girl darling because you were clearly very confident at home and that that was all that mattered mm. okay great answer we really encourage you to write in and share with us your uh, your experiences your questions your suggestions for different topics that we should talk about the best way to contact us is through our social media so um our instagram account is at let's talk about parenting and it's the same for facebook as well that's really a great way to get in touch with us um and uh, all of your really great questions we hope to uh share on the podcast we'll be back soon we really hope you enjoyed this first episode and uh yeah thanks for being a great audience yeah thanks lol i really enjoyed that yeah okay right. bye. bye now the let's talk about parenting podcast is sponsored by quest kids an online educational game for kids aged 7 to 12 quest kids follows quest and zeke on a journey around the world traveling through time and teaches children about geography history maths culture and plenty more Questa Kids makes learning fun. So sign up today at questakids.com for a free 30-day trial. You can also get 15% off with the code Let's Talk About.